Now, here on Mornings, every other Tuesday, we get into Let's Talk About Sex, and I'm welcoming to the studio Tanya Coons, our resident sexologist, body worker, and relationships counsellor. How's it going, Tanya? Hey, Bridie. I'm good, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Always a pleasure to have you, and we are going to start this one off with a huge content warning. Yeah. Uh, basically, we're going to be talking about topics to do with sexual attraction based around age. Yes, and we may venture into content warning. We may venture into the area of sexual assault and sexual abuse. So we want to give people a chance that if that's a little bit too much to listen to, now might be a good time to turn the volume down or wander off for a little bit. Yes, and if any of this does cause you to stress that you weren't expecting, Lifeline is on 13 11 14. Yep, and we'll have some other links up on the page as well. Before we get into any uh, any of the sort of darker stuff, we're going to start with age fetish, which people may or may not be familiar with. So basically, let's get a let's get a definition going on age fetish, Tanya. Um, and well, age fetish is basically uh, sexual play, or it can even be just role play uh, around age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people have heard of the term daddy, mm-hmm. daddy play. Um, it, this sort of this actually eventuated in the queer community, in the leather community. So there was a lot of play where people uh, put themselves as daddies, mummies, uh, little boys, little girls, or today a lot of people call themselves bigs and littles, which mm-hmm. I really like. And there's even middles, so people who can sort of act in the sort of teeny, teen age sort of bracket. Right. And these are people who um, it's consensual and they treat each other as if they're a different age to what they actually are. And in the kink community, is this seen? Uh, how far away from the the mainstream is this scene in the kink community? <laughs> uh, gee, well, I think it's, it features in the kink community and it's coming into the mainstream because yeah. I see a lot of references to daddy uh, or baby girl or that sort of stuff coming into mainstream porn and coming into um, more heterosexual-based sex play. Mm. But it originated there and, um, yes, and there's a lot of people in the kink world. So some of the easier groups of age players that you can find and if you want to, you know, stroll around online and have a look for them are people who are adult baby diaper lovers. Yes, I think there was a reality TV show about that <laughs> in Britain. And really? my mum, I saw it with my mum and she just turned to me and she was just like, what the? What the hell is that? Do you know, it's really interesting because that's a really good example of escapism through age play. And, you know, I find because I've spoken to clients who are into this sort of thing or know people that are into this sort of thing. And they're usually very high powered people or people with a lot of responsibility in life who want to take some time out and not have to think or worry about anything at all. So they revert right back to being a baby where all the decisions and all the responsibility of looking after them is not on them. And does that sort of uh, longing to have a lack of responsibility extend into all realms of age play? Like, is there always a bit of a... it can be a way of playing out domination and submission, but it can also be a way of, of, of being fun. Like, it's quite fun to be a little. You know, mm. I've um, seen parties where there's groups of littles who are having a tea party or they're playing with um, stuffed animals or they're doing things that kids would normally do. And some people like to date little to little. They like to have their sexual play or their romantic play with other people who are into the same thing because it feels safer to them than having to adult mm. in their sort of sexual role plays. So it's a real, it's another way of playing out a sort of form of domination and submission because people who like to look after people can really play out that role very thoughtfully where they're they're providing everything for their their little it's a way of service do people ever play with older characters yeah i mean so that's the daddy role or the mummy role right right? but like elderly elderly uh (laughs) 
gee, I don't know. That's an interesting form of age play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, there are people who are attracted. We've got, you know, the age on the, there's age, this, we're talking about age as fetish, but there's also attraction. So there are people who are attracted to much older and much younger people than them. We'll get into that a little right. bit later. Now, if this is making you irk a little bit, thinking like, oh, I don't like the thought of people pretending to be little kids and people getting turned on by that. Tanya, is that a valid irk? Um, it does quick people out because they, 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 incest play is another one. But what we need to realise is this is role play and it's people pretending and it's people doing so consensually, right? When we take away consent or when we're not pretending, then that's a little bit different. So this is a way... So lots of people do role plays in the bedroom. You know, you can play doctor and nurse. You can play the naughty cabin boy and the, and the pirate. There's a lot of a lot of things that you can do to have a bit of fun in the bedroom. Um, so this is another form of that, and it kind of wraps itself around either domination and submission or service, mm. right? Because a lot of people really like to be of service, and I think that's a lot of the baby girl and um, daddy sort of play. Sorry, I just uh, I just had a little choke on my own spit there. <laughs> um, so when when we talk about uh, age play and age fetish, uh, is there any sort of you know you talked about before me- uh, people who like to be a giant uh, big baby, yeah, <laughs> wearing adult giant babies, adult babies, um, and, and to do so to sort of have the responsibility taken out of their hand. Is there any psychological? I don't want to say defect, but n- sort of a lack of psychological something missing that's making people want to go into these younger roles and, and be taken care of? Um, not really. I think age play, psychologists say age play could be quite a healthy thing. They don't sort of deem it as a terrible bad thing. And it, like if you're playing mummy or daddy type stuff, a mummy or daddy can set the rules that keeps the littles safe and healthy, like giving them bedtimes and enforced care. You know, I know several people who are in dominant submissive relationships where the dominant dictates what time we go to bed, um, how we eat, what we're doing, and a lot of that's really about looking after them. And the littles can get off on service or being good and getting rewarded, like mm. feeling good in the world. So there are some psychological benefits. Some people can play stuff out that they didn't get in their childhood. Um, and it's just kind of like finding a way to get that need met for that small part of you who missed out. So this is a perfectly fine and healthy example of age play and fetish, which is uh, which is in the king community and making its way into the sort of more <laughs> mainstream sexual communities. Uh, but we're going to find out when it sort of slips into a darker territory next. You're listening to Let's Talk About Sex on Mornings FBI 94.5. My guest Tanya Coons is here and we've been talking about age play and age fetish and I just wanted to address a text here, someone asking where they can go to learn more about these sort of age kinks online, Tanya. Ah, there's a very interesting site called FetLife, so that's um, FetLife.com and it's I call it the Black Facebook, so that's where everybody who's kinky hangs out and they have profiles and there's lots of discussion groups, so whatever your kink is, you can find it on FetLife. And for people who are interested in meeting other bigs or littles or adult diaper lovers or people into age play, you can find what's called munches, which are group meetings where kinky people meet and they're not dressed up and they're not role playing. They're just going to the pub to meet other people who might be into the same sort of thing as themselves. There you go. There might be someone just like you 
just around the corner. You would never know until yeah. you went into a munch. Um, now, just a content warning, we are talking about those things that Tanya just meant it, mentioned in age play and age fetish, but we will also be getting into pedophilia in this next section. So mm. if that causes you any distress or discomfort, you might want to tune out or if you find you get um, sort of startled by something along the way, Lifeline is on 13 11 14 and we'll give that number out again at the end. So let's talk about when age fetish becomes a problem, Tanya. Yeah, so really we're talking about when um, someone is attracted to people and it's outside of the law, right? So, uh, and that, you know, diff- we, there are different ages of consents all around the world, but it's when you're talking about people under consent. So pedophilia is the attraction to people 14 and under. I think you, you there, are, there are numbers. So people say the term pedophile, meaning everybody who's attracted to children, but there are categories within there as well. So there are people who are um, infantophiles who are attracted to like babies and up to five years old, and there are people who are hebophiles who are attracted to 11 to 14-year-olds. So um, there's there's groups within that group, but we need to be very clear that having sex with somebody under the age of 16 is against the law. And is being attracted to a little, is there the same thing going on in your brain when you know it's a very different thing so this is someone who's legitimately um, attracted to a child or somebody who's underage it's it's not playing it's like they're they're wanting to be sexual or have a relationship with and you know it up until recently that was kind of okay depending on the time that you lived in we were just having a chat while the the music was on about how in the industrial revolution times families all slept together in big beds and it was really common for aunts and uncles to do things to their kids and it wasn't really understood or known that that could send people crazy or give them things like post-traumatic stress disorder and it was Sigmund Freud our old buddy mm-hmm. in Vienna who in the late 1800s discovered the impact of a sexual interactions at a young age and discovered post-traumatic stress disorder, which was a huge discovery. But unfortunately, if he was to make that public and to do a lot about that, he would have to align himself with the feminists at the time. And he was a big man of science. So he dropped that one. And post-traumatic stress disorder didn't surface again until World War One, where it came up as shell shock when it was all about male soldiers. Interesting. Very, very interesting history lesson there. Yeah. So, <laughs> trauma lessons. Yes. Trauma lessons. So um, we were talking a little bit earlier in the week about how the word pedophile and child sex offender are often yes. used interchangeably, but that's not correct, is it? No, it's not correct because not all pedophiles have uh, sex with children. Like That's their attraction. So they may be attracted and understand this is not okay and work really hard to orient themselves away from that or just choose abstinence, right? So, And some sex offenders are not pedophiles. They do It's a power differential and they're doing things as a punishment or as a way of exerting power over children. So it's not great. Yes, the law is pretty clear-cut when it comes to... Um yeah, uh, intera- uh, sexual interactions with children uh, in Australia, at least we have the hard and fast law of if you are sixteen yeah. and under, yeah. or is it sixteen and over? You can consent. Sixteen and over, yeah. you can consent uh, to having sex, and if you have sex, if you have, uh, if you rape somebody under sixteen years old, then uh, if you rape anyone, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> <rape>. not okay. <laughs> Help me out here, <laughs> um, and, and, yeah. that, and that's because a law, possibly because of what Sigmund Freud. Discovered, uh, yeah. the law recognises that people 
that are younger than 16 years old aren't able to give consent, even if they yeah, say yes. They, they need to, they, they aren't able to weigh things up, you know, and they can be swayed, they can be definitely swayed by a power differential. Mm. So I think when it comes to the law and people enforcing it and people like family and community services, they're less concerned about a 17-year-old going out with a 15-year-old than they would be about a 15-year-old going out with a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old because of the power indifference mm. and the ability to make decisions. Because let's face it, there are a lot of folks you know, getting it on under 15. We talked about uh, last fortnight about huge gaps in age in dating. Yeah. In 20, 30 years, it's fine so long as both uh, parties are above the age of consent. But what actually happens when you clock over to your 16th birthday that makes you <laughs> then able to give consent? I don't know. I think, you know, I think it's the stage of development. I know in medicine they have a thing called the Gillick Clause, which is um, anyone who's over the age of 14 is allowed to have private medical records and their parents don't get a look in. Um, so they're in medicine they're saying 14. But I think it's the people who make the laws. I don't, um, I'm not privy to the sort of research behind that, but I, I'm figuring that's the magical age. I know in the US it's um, 21 in some states. And yet, you know, so people are deemed okay to make decisions about sex at 16, but not allowed to vote, not allowed to drink, not allowed to do other things that mm. require responsibility. So it's kind of interesting. I think we might go to another song here and let all that sink in, but I have a couple more questions for you about uh, pedophilia and rehabilitation. Yeah. Because, like you said, not all pedophiles are yeah. child sexual assault uh, assault ch- children. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's it. And they don't do it lifelong. There, there are people who are lifelong offenders. Um, so, the average uh, child sex offender has forty different victims over their lifetime. Yeah, and the average um, adult rapist has 70 different victims, which really speaks to our laws not changing and not supporting us enough. Well, let's go to track here and we'll get back into it. You're on Let's Talk About Sex. I'm joined by Tanya Coons. This is Mornings, FBI 94.5.
Morgan Wright, The Tell. You're listening to Let's Talk About Sex on Tuesday mornings, FBI 94.5. I'm joined by Tanya Coons, our resident sexologist. And uh, I'll just give out another content warning. We're talking about some pretty dicey stuff here, pedophilia. And Tanya, I wanted to start by asking you what you know about pedophilia rehabilitation. Ah, Can you um, rewire the brain to not be attracted to people under 14? Um, yes and no. It, it really depends on the, 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 the person. Um, it's not an area that I specialise in, so I don't want to position myself as an expert here. But I do know that there are people who work with um, people who are attracted to underage folks. A lot of therapists won't because they just find it too difficult to deal with and to get their head around that. And I understand that because it's a subject that really horrifies lots of people. But there are some good folks out there who have these attractions and want to work with them, or there are people who have offended who want to rehabilitate. Right. So people who have offended really need to get a good support network around them. Um, and there are, so there are specialist um, therapists who work in this area. And what they will try and do is look at the offender or look at the person and see if they've had a background of um, abuse or violence and address that because mm. often that stuff is what they've learned as a child and they're acting that out as an adult. So addressing that can help. Uh, for some people, you know, people who are attracted to the older uh, spectrum of the underage, it might be possible to reorient them to a bit older. But for people who are attracted to very young, that's much more difficult. So mm. you're going to be trying to put into support things on not acting on that. And that's that's really difficult when people are born with that attraction. Yeah, I, I guess it would be, would be very hard for people to empathise with yeah. uh, people who are attracted to underage people. But unfortunately, I think uh, possibly empathy is the only thing that could prevent them from further yeah, they, uh, they going need, out and they, assaulting. They need empathy in the help that they're getting. And I think that's why a lot of therapists won't work with them because they find it too hard. All of us have no-go areas. You know, like I work in the area of sex where lots of therapists won't because it's too hard. And I, I work particularly in areas where lots of other sex therapists won't work because I think people need a safe and non-judgmental place. So I understand the people working with pedophiles because I actually don't work with pedophiles. That's one thing that's really hard for me to get my head around. Mm. But I can view it with compassion and go this is a pretty shitty situation to find yourself in. Let's take a look at the stats now yeah. for the victims of child sexual assault in Australia. How do we how do we rank? Oh, gee, um, I understand it's one in three women and one in five men. Um, child? Child, yeah. Wow. So a university study um, found that 20.6% of women and 10.5% of men reported non-penetrative childhood sexual abuse mm. by the age of 16 and 7.9% of women and 75 of men reported penetrative. So that adds up to n nearly 30% of women and 19% of men. So this is a big... This is actually really huge. huge. And it's so pushed aside, pushed out of view. People really don't like no, talking about this. They don't. And can you imagine if you're a child and you tell someone and they say, well, your uncle's not like that, we can't tell anyone. You know, Kids are often shut down or they're groomed by the perpetrator to not say anything and it's a special secret. And because of that power differential, they don't understand. You know, They know it's not right, but they're afraid. Mm. Um, and then I think our laws just... They're not really supportive of this kind of stuff is, you know, not on. So we've got the, the, the fact that the child might be groomed, the fact that they may not be listened to or believed, and then the fact that the laws aren't really great for convicting people and stopping them acting again. 
Well, looking at those stats, there's a good chance that some people listening right now have experienced that. And uh, we want to leave you with a few places that you can go to. Tanya, if someone has never spoken about this before, where's a good place to turn first? Um, You could uh, call the good folks at New South Wales Rape Crisis Centre. They Mm. are very... um, uh, trained and skilled trauma counsellors there. Um, there's also the Domestic Violence Helpline, one eight hundred respect I'd suggest also for folks who want to have a sort of queer understanding to call into QLife. Uh, there's some really great uh, counsellors there. And again, Lifeline, um, 13 11 14. That's right, 13 11 14 is the number you can call if ever you are in any um, yeah. emotional trauma that you need help with instantly. That is a great resource that and we have And all of here. these places will take you seriously and believe you as to what happened. That's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, Having it's very that, important. I, I, I feel like we really need to normalise believing the victim rather than making yeah. them prove. So I think the Victorian police put out uh, uh, some research on people who make false claims of sexual assault. It's under 3%. So I would err on the side of believing people. And people don't have a lot to gain to making that kind of shit up. Tanya Coons, I I always (laughs) learn so much from you on Let's Talk About Sex. These episodes will be podcasted by this afternoon, so you can check them out by looking up Let's Talk About Sex in your podcast app or going onto our website, fbiradio.com. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.